are listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. Okay, both three in a row. Where's the silver bullet day at 141 and one? Brandon Jaggers. Dream a little dream of you. Splits horses late gets up to win in a three-horse photo. Dream a little dream of you for the full of run racing winner of the Latonia. Jeff Riggs. Outside Alpine Princess, Alpine Princess or Nikitas, Alpine Princess. And me, CC Broadus. No, I didn't even see that race. The Auxiliary Gate, big problem. everybody welcome to episode number 159 of the auxiliary gate podcast i'm cc broadus joined by alan schneider who's been present for about 157 of these i think mm, sounds right maybe, one, maybe 158 alan how well, are you doing i'm fine i think well, i've missed a couple I've, i think you I'm missed get, two yeah i'm getting older vacation and work and stuff like that but uh you've you've missed one i want to say you've missed one i missed uh, mike mccarthy Michael McCarthy, excuse me, Michael McCarthy. Well, he, he's not a big name, so no big deal there, right? <laughs> not at all. No, he's only one one Preakness. Uh, how many is uh, our next guy? How many has he missed? Uh, our next uh, our next guest, or excuse me, our next host, excuse me, missed the first one hundred and fifty three. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> but that's Jeff Riggs, noted handicapper Jeff Riggs. How are you doing, Jeff? Doing very well. Um, yeah, trying to make up for lost time. That's okay. It it won't take long. <laughs> Jeff, how uh, how was uh, September at, at Churchill? How did that treat you? What did you do? Man, it was awesome. So I got to uh, help out with the graphics department with the broadcast at Churchill Downs for the September meet. And, man, there's a lot that goes into that. Like, it, you know, everybody, it's one of those things. I know uh, we were talking about it before, and Alan mentioned it's a little bit like the offensive line in football with the graphics, like nobody notices them unless something goes wrong or they, they, they mess something up. So a good day is when nobody notices the graphics people, but um, yeah, the whole production is really cool. I mean, it was great working with everybody is awesome getting to work with, you know, Joe and Scott and Caitlin every day. And there, there's none better than that team for sure. And then everybody behind the scenes was also awesome to work with all the camera people and the technical director and, you know, uh, Carol was with me in the graphics. So shout out to Carol. Uh, she did an awesome job too. So it was, it was great being there. It's fast paced for sure. I was, uh, the first couple days were, you know, kind of overwhelming, but then once I got in my groove, it was, it was pretty awesome. Did you get to climb to the top of that giant TV screen? <laughs> no, I did no. not. But one interesting thing I did learn about that giant TV screen is, as big as it is, you can't have graphics that have too much white in them or it'll fry it. So anything that they come in with like a full page thing or any kind of advertisements or whatever, it has to be checked through to make sure that it's dark enough that it won't fry the big board before you put it up. Wow. So we had to replace multiple of them just in the time that I was there because of that. That's that's a kind of inside info, CC. You don't get on other podcasts, right? They want to give you their seventy-four pick five tickets and try to act like continuous betting experts, like they're but they don't get things like this, do they? They don't get that. That's right? a new one to me. Don't yeah. I'm, I want uh, I, I would I want Jeff to climb to the top of it though, just to 
get his bird's eye perspective of we just need more death defying acts on this podcast. Hey, let me, yeah, let me ask you, Jeff. So you did a good job from what I could tell, but you know, there's lots of times in situations like that where you may have messed up or the rest of us didn't notice. You know, you can be honest. It's three weeks. It's over. Did you, did you mess up and we just didn't see it? Absolutely. <laughs> Is there anything you can lay on us? Did you spell leperoo wrong? Pretty well. What was that? Did you spell leperoo wrong? <laughs> no, I did not spell leperoo wrong. Um, I spelled you're so silly wrong on one of the graphics, but got it right on the other one. That was my only misspelling that I can remember. And then my other uh, mistake that really stood out to me was the first day that we did jockey trainer standings. So I hadn't done it before, and I was you, – you have to update them, so you have to, like, check Equibase and update them manually. And, you know, Tyler just got off to a hard, hot start and never stopped. And um, it was between the day that he had 8 and 12 – or 8 and 11 wins. He had a triple, and I didn't update the 8 to 11 between those two days. So it was like – that was probably the most obvious mistake that I made because everybody knew he had a riding triple the previous day. Oh, that's not bad though, and you're so silly as S I L L E A, right? I want to say it's a son of Leah. And your is the the incorrect grammar. It's the, it's Y O U R when it probably should be Y O U apostrophe R E. Yeah, pretty good stuff though. You did pretty pretty well. Had to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I feel like if that was if that was the worst of what happened in 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 the meet, I, th- I think we held it together pretty well. All right, so uh, we got some breaking news. This is from Byron King of the Blood Horse. So the Rules Committee of the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission passed a motion recommending Kentucky raise minimum fees earned by jockeys. So riders will now be paid ten percent of a horse's earnings for wins and five percent of their mounts earnings for second through fourth finishes. But with a higher minimum fee, if their portion of horse earnings falls below that threshold. Under the recommended rule change, jockeys earn at least $120 for a ride in the state, in the state for races with purses of less than $100,000 and up to $500 for an unplaced mount in a race for $1 million or more. That's interesting. So $125 now is a, is, is the jockey fee. I'm, I'm all for it. Um, the UAW is on strike right now, which I, as a Toyota team member at a non-union plant, I wholeheartedly support the UAW strike, uh, more power to them. So I'm all for, I'm all for these guys risk their lives getting, uh, not everybody makes the kind of money that Irad and Jose and, and Tyler make. So I'm all for it. Anyway, so big weekend, perhaps some Breeders' Cup implications, almost said implications. But uh, uh, horses like Zozos, and uh, Zozos, of course, won the ACAC. Uh, pretty impressive. Uh, horses won probably five of his last six starts, I think. But And uh, then uh, who was the winner of the Lucas Classic, whose name's escaping me? But uh, Clapton. 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 Clapton won, won that. I think they're on the fence about going to the Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, but uh, more than looks, won the Jefferson Cup uh, very impressively. I don't think he beat much, but he – the way he did it was very impressive. So, uh, uh, guys, any uh, any thoughts about uh, the weekend's racing action in Kentucky or even around the world? We had a we had an Arc de Triomphe that was won by a really nice horse. It's probably not going to come here, but uh, an Ace Impact. Uh, but 
big winners all over the place. Adair Manor won uh, big at, in California. She'll run for the for the Brewers Cup distaff likely. But uh, any any thoughts? Yeah, uh, more than looks was amazing. I mean, that you're right. That wasn't the best field, but uh, the second place finisher tracked behind the uh, behind the, the the runaway leader and went by. And went by the horse easily and was like five lengths clear to third. More than looks like hopelessly beaten, but absolutely turned the Jets on. And uh, the, the runner-up, the maker runner-up, ran very well. But, I mean, more than looks just blew down a stretch. That horse is going to be really, really good. And I would also, I know Zozos did win the the act, act but I would give a little shout-out to Stage Raider, the runner-up for uh, Cherie DeVoe. I thought that horse uh, has been kind of retooled under under him, under her. And I thought he tried all the, all the way down the stretch. I think you're going to see more out of a stage rider going forward. For sure. I totally agree with that. And, you know, Zozos didn't have to go that fast. Didn't, didn't get like the clear early lead, but definitely was doing it easily up front. I thought stage rider might have run the best race in that race mm-hmm. and on the improve 100%. That, that was definitely a career best effort. And I think can move forward from there. And just one more point on more than looks to, to pile on there. Um, that was one cool thing about being in the graphics room for that is you can see all the camera angles. So I could see the drone footage and the jockey cam in that race. And it was just pretty awesome. The, the turn of foot that that horse displayed. It yeah, was just you know, from that angle. That was eye opening. Do a new degree CC. I thought that was wow. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah continues to mature. He's going to be a major player exactly. going forward. I don't I don't think he's Bruce Cup mile, uh, Bruce Cup turf mile quality yet, but he can mm-hmm. certainly improve into that type of type of runner. Uh, I'm really sick of seeing Zozos get easy leads. <laughs> yeah, that I just I want to see what he's made of. Uh, what about a, a Breeders' Cup dirt mile for him? Is that you think that's in the cards? That was a win in your in race, so all fees paid. For the the camp of Zozos and Brad Cox, what uh, does he have a shot? Maybe to to upend. Uh, I don't even know who's going to run. Maybe Cody's Wish. You're going to run in the in the mile. Yeah, of course he does. Yeah, I would say. Is it a two turn or one turn out there? It's a two turn, right? Two turn. I, I think that's the biggest concern when they talk to Brad after the race. He, you know, he usually keeps things pretty close to the vest, but you could kind of tell that that two turns was a concern for him because they were right. asking you thing paid for and all that you know is that the race you're going to and it, it kind of seemed like he's going to wait and see what the entries look like and and make a decision from there but i i do not think that brad thinks two turns is what the horse wants to do interesting interesting i mean if that's the case then the, the only other option would be running the in the uh cigar mile i would think on uh on is it now it's the week the weekend after thanksgiving so that's a long way off but mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Uh, and, oh, yeah, before we get to our guest, now Brandon Jaggers is going to join us shortly, uh, and he's going to introduce our guest. But uh, uh, in honor of uh, sports betting becoming legal, I'm going to put you all on the spot. Sports betting legal in Kentucky, that is. Now, we've got <laughs> two games this weekend. We've got uh, big games. I'm going to yes. be at the, the Notre Dame-Louisville game. Notre Dame is, at, at last I checked, was a six-and-a-half-point favorite. And I believe Kentucky's traveling to Georgia, Athens, to to face Georgia. And they are 16-point dogs. I'm going to ask both of you to predict which side of the fence we need to be on when we're placing our wagers this Saturday. Well, I'm not going to place a wager. 
I'm, I mean, it's all about Kentucky, Georgia. I want Kentucky to win the, to win the game, right? And I don't think they're going to. Uh, they generally play a Kentucky generally plays them fairly solidly. They play them tough. It always feels like Georgia has their hand on their forehead just as Kentucky's swinging them. They can't get legitimately close. They may be down seven to twelve points, but it never feels like they're truly a threat. Uh, I hope that changes. Uh, I, 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 as much as I love Kentucky, as much as easily as they just destroyed a, a bad Florida team last week, a, a terrible Florida team, a hilariously bad Florida team. Um, I just uh, – I feel like Kentucky is, doesn't have depth at running back, and their passing game is still a little iffy. I, I'm going to say, if, if you're making me try to pick – the spread's about right. I hope I'm wrong, but uh, Georgia probably wins in a pretty hard-fought victory. I think Louisville has a shot at Notre Dame, but I think Notre Dame probably will hold them at bay a little bit. Uh, so give me Notre Dame by about seven or eight or so. And I don't know. I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, Jeff. I I agree with the analysis. I think 16 is a is a lot of points in the UK Georgia game. And as y'all said, UK usually plays Georgia well, but just not good enough to win. I, I don't think UK can win the game, especially there. But I I do think that they can keep it close. I think they will make things tight at the end. Georgia probably wins by 10 or 14. But um, I like the UK side of that one and. U of L, man, I just don't know. I think it all depends on quarterback play for them. If if Plummer shows his good side, I think they can win the game outright. If he shows what he's shown as his bad side, you know they could get blown out. So, with, what what is it? Six and a half? You said? At last I checked, yeah. I'd, I'd probably lean Notre Dame there. But um, I, I'm not feeling as confident in that one. That, that's one I'm just going to hope the cards win. CC? I think the problem with both teams is that Georgia and Notre Dame both are coming off of, uh, uh, I guess you could call them wake-up games or eye-openers mm-hmm. where they were almost uh, – yep. they're they're in the danger zone. And that, I think both teams are probably going to come out ready to play. I think I can think Kentucky and Louisville are actually both capable of pulling an upset. But, uh, you know, Georgia and Notre Dame both battle-tested. I, I, I think it's going to be an uphill battle. I would take I – I don't think I would touch the Georgia-Kentucky game because that could go anywhere from 14 to 21 points or 10 to 21 points. So I wouldn't touch that game. I would think I think Notre Dame is uh, – they're, they're tough. So I, I would think they, they could pull off a 10 to 13-point victory. Ain't nothing better than college football this time of year, though. I'm it just it, – it, this is a good example why – uh, Devin Leary for Kentucky. I mean, if they ever get their, their passing game in, in rhythm, but I also feel like Georgia's going to be sitting back and he's thrown some picks and, and there's been some miscommunication between the quarterbacks and receivers. Georgia, Georgia might get, get a couple of his passes this week. He's a little short for the SEC, but then again, maybe things go well, so we'll find out. Okay, I hear Brandon Jaggers walking down the hallway now, so we'll throw it to him. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Brandon Jaggers. Yes, I'm back. It's probably been two weeks since I've been on the podcast, but we're eager to really introduce a special guest, a special friend to me tonight. Uh, the podcast has already known this guest for quite a while, but I got to go back a little bit in history. If y'all remember a little horse named Dream, a little dream of you gave me my first opportunity at real winning horse racing. So, and you know how hard that is. It takes 
years, talent, the right people, the right association, a little bit of luck. But in 2019, I got a call through a, a friend of a friend of Chris and Steve Gowers that I needed to meet Dan Glick. And so I called this individual, Dan. I said, hey, you know, I'm Brandon Jaggers. I know nothing about horse racing, but I have some money. I would love to partner with you. And and he kind of dissuaded me a little bit, telling me it was tough. This is, you know, it's a hard game. I can't promise you anything. But I tell you what, we look at the physical first, and then we look at the pedigree second. And we'll, by gosh, we'll try to get a winner. And so fast forward, I know everybody's heard a little bit about me telling uh, from previous podcasts about Dream a Little Dream of You. But our good friend Dan Glick uh, really has helped me in learning the game, going to the backside, taking me through Keeneland, trips to uh, fairgrounds, Saratoga, all the different places we've been with horse racing. And he's become a great friend to me. Uh, and also a great friend of the podcast and we're eager to have on because he's got a very special opportunity. If you can't smell it, it's Keeneland time, but Keeneland's back and he's got a very good opportunity, a very good runner that he has picked himself and with partners, uh, this coming Friday. And, uh, I'm just delighted to have Dan on tonight. Dan, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brandon. Um, it's- it's been great, uh, a great friendship that we've had, and uh, happy to be on the show. Yeah, we, you know, I, I, I keep following dreams. To... Now one, and uh, yeah, I still follow that, our biggest horse that we've had together, and what a great ride that was. And I got to tell people, you know, we, we started full of run racing, uh I guess it was in 2019 and we, we, we had some good results and I think we ended up having a lot of starters and, uh, out of that syndicate. But as everybody knows, you know, business comes and goes and we've closed out and you've gone, gone bigger and better. But at the same time, you started way before that. Uh, tell us a little bit of how you, how you started into the game and under what partnerships and friendships. So. I, my father took me to track when I was, I don't know, six years old, as, as young as I could remember. And he got me interested in the game. Um, and I, I, I was really bit, but more, not from the gambling side, but from the, the industry itself. So I stayed interested in it and I went to, when I was in school in Kentucky, I knew um, uh, a couple gentlemen that owned part of a breeding farm in Lexington. Uh, if you guys remember Red Bull Liquors, um, it was owned by Marvin Wallman and a Sam Lyons. They partnered with Lee Eaton, who is probably the most renowned bloodstock agent, was the most, he, he's gone now, but he's passed away, but um bloodstock agent in and breeder a very good breeder they bred bull forbs and in a bunch of nice horses and they introduced me to him and i used to go to the farm um in any opportunity i could and hang around out there and i i got the breeding end bit i mean i was bit by the, the breeding end of the business um didn't really want to go into racing um I, but 
uh, I I ended up uh, trying to pin hook, you know, buying as a weanling and um, selling as a yearling, and we didn't do any good, and we brought the the filly back, um, and I owned it with uh, I cut in a trainer, and I and I owned it with my father, and we raced her at Latonia, and she this filly won. It was basically right around the time the time my son 40 years ago that that my son Tyler was born so and then I couldn't afford to be in the business any longer and waited until 2004 when I could and put uh, together a group of guys and we didn't have a lot of money and we were going to claim Phillies and try to move them up from um, you know the claiming end into the into get some, getting some black type and selling them and try to make the partnership to perpetuate the partnership and we had some wins and we did get one that was stakes place uh and i started with three of the i mean three of the the partners i have today uh steve gowers david brill lee benevitz lifelong friends that i've known since i was six years old were with me uh, when we started this in 2004 plus some family. And it's it's incredible they're still with me today. I mean, we're great friends. Uh it's the it's really a thrill to to be able to to take this ride with them. Um Brandon knows them um and so it, you know we we kind of limped through that and then I I added some more folks, some people that I've are, I've known for 40 years. And in 2010, and we bought a couple two-year-olds in training. Uh, one it turned out we we paid thirty thousand dollars for her. her. Name was Bouquet Booth. Um, she ended up winning the Delta Princess uh, with a. She has a wonderful female fa- family. She was by. She was out of the same family of or related to uh, the Plug Nickel type family with Hob de Grasse and Toneless. We're in that family, very famous family. Um, and uh, we also bought another filly named Street Storm privately from Tim Ham uh, at that time uh, for $40,000. And both of them ran, ended up running the Kentucky Oaks. So kind of beginner's luck when we were venturing into the, you know, buying horses at auction. Um, yeah. And that was under Right Time Racing, correct? That was under that- Right Time Racing. Yes, it it it, yeah. it uh, we raced under Right Time Racing, and that you know we our goal is always to self fund after we get started. Uh, and she definitely Bouquet Booth, you know, won the Delta Princess was a half a million dollar race. Um, she won some other races. Street Storm won the the Mardi Gras Stakes at, at Fairgrounds. Um, we sold them both and were able to perpetuate, you know, as, as, as breeding prospects. Um, and we, we, Street Storm, we sold privately. Uh, and she went to Australia, but Bouquet Booth, um, was sold at Fasic Tipton. And we sold her the same night as Hob de Grasse. So we kind of piggybacked on, on to that evening because we had a similar family. Uh, she was, uh, Bouquet Booth was out of, a. Uh, half sister the dam of Hop de Grasse. So we piggybacked on that 
It carried us for some time. Um, we built right then. I I did it again with right time uh, two and three, and um, you know we perpetuated the partnership. We had a stakes filly named Meadowdance in 2018. She actually ran third in the Alcibiades, um, and then. Uh, we started full of run because I just wanted to separate it. And that's when Brandon came in and we had dream a little dream of you. So we were buying three, three and four horses uh, a year. And we seemed to be, we got a rhythm. Uh, Linda Sims is who I use, um, who we use and I work with and she's phenomenal. Uh, she's in Ocala. And she she was instrumental in in the success that we've had, and um, we we were able to Brad Brad train uh, Meta Dance and uh, Dream a Little Dream a Little Dream of You, and uh, she was instrumental in in helping me find those at the sales, and has been with me since. She's a phenomenal person and a great. A great uh, horsewoman. Hey, Dan, when did you become uh, kind of partnered with with Brad Cox? I mean, obviously, he's got, you know, two or three hundred head at a time. He gets the cream of the crop of the two year olds. And uh, knowing you're not Spindrift Farm or Godolphin or all these large outfits, you know, how were you able to get in with Brad? So in 20, Steve Margolis trained for us for the longest for a long time and Steve had heard that uh Midwest when Brad was training for Midwest Steve had heard that um you know Midwest and and Brad separated um and Brad was killing it with Midwest uh, you know winning it I don't know 25 30% and doing very well um I knew Brad before um he claimed some broodmare prospects for uh, for me and for Steve Gowers as well um, and some other folks. And um, when I'd heard that, Steve called and told me, I I said, Steve, we've got to help him. And we had a filly that was uh, uh, maybe a, a $10,000 claimer. And I said, I'm going to walk her on down and give her to Brad. Uh, and I did, and that was in 2012, and I think Brad had three horses at that time. I mean, could I tell you that I I knew he was going to be, you know, a future Hall of Famer at that time? No, but if you all you have to do, I, I mean, I was like the town crier because I would tell anybody that I, I knew that this guy has got it, you know. You can spend time with him, and Brandon, you have. Um, he's he's phenomenal, and we we were um, fortunate enough to start with him, and we I just got to watch how he he did things, and it just you know I stayed with him and watched him grow, and but you know what. It, He's is with 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 us. He's he's with me. He's the same as he was then. Um, you know, 
just right down the middle. Per, I mean, just tells me, you know, Brad's very, very honest, uh, very straightforward with, with the abilities of the horses. And he's right. You know, he's always right. He's always been right with me. Um, so, so, and he's a friend. Um, and we have stayed, we've had a great relationship. And uh, I mean, I know his barn, all his team very well. So we've been fortunate. Uh, I will, I've been, you know, you got to have, you got to have luck most of all, but you've got to have great people. And it, my philosophy is to surround yourself around with people that know more than you do and listen to them, you know, and certainly he does and, and Linda does. Um, and I, I, I go by that, especially in this business. And uh, um, that's where we are today. Uh, to take that forward, uh, Brandon, when we started full of run two. We were able to add some more folks in. You know, we were always uh, having to regroup, and I, I had some guys that could put more money in. We, we brought on some new folks, and it gave me a little bit more flexibility at the sales uh, to buy better bloodstock that you hope. I mean, uh, you right. never know. You can spend a fortune and and, and not get anything. And you see it happen every day, but um, we have it, 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 I, I just when I go to a sale, certainly my hands are tied, but they're not tied as tight as they were uh, when we were, you know, smaller uh, and limited to three horses a year. And 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 that's really hard to do is to get a stakes winner when you're buying three or four horses a year. That's that you have to defeat the odds. Right. And I got to do a full disclaimer because I had a baby. I did not, I was not able to participate in full run two. And then I got married, of course, too. That was a whole nother deal. But so I'm now on the outside and as a big fan and a big supporter of the group, I wish I could be a part of it. Uh, but that, that's my disclaimer that I'm, I'm not in the full of run two group and all the partnerships and things that they formed over the years. But, uh, but I, I got to go back and tell everybody another part that I kind of was reluctant to to do. The year that you all had Meadow Dance, I think, was the opportunity for me to come in, and I passed. And I said, after I watched the Alcibiades and see Meadow Dance be really game, a tough horse, uh, unfortunately didn't prevail that day, but got third. I was like, I'll never skip a beat again. <laughs> you know, and that's how I got into full of run when that came formed the following year. And, and now look at it again. You know, it's the year that I don't participate and you get another runner that's coming up this Friday. So we're all excited about the opportunity on Friday and would love for you to tell us a little bit more about your opportunity, uh, in the House of Bodies on Friday at Kingland. Well, this uh, we bought this filly at, at at Keeneland in September um, uh, of last year, and uh, we started to get um, good reports in. And Linda kept telling me, and uh, the Demerics um, were telling me the same that Tristan and Val Demerick, who were breaking her in Ocala, and they they gave us. 
really good reports on how straightforward she was. And and you could see I went down there in, in February and watched her gallop in or is it it may have been January or, or end of January, I think. And you could see that she's one that had some talent. So we brought her up, and she went through Brad's program. Uh, she was at Keeneland, and, um, you know, Ke- Brad separates his horses. And and um, once, you know, based on ability, and, and what, what you get with Brad is, you know, you, you find, you're going to find your level. If you if you have a good horse, you're going to find your level, whether it's going to be, you know, uh, in the claiming ranks or, or it's going to be an allowance horse or, or a minor stakes horse or a graded horse. And uh, they liked her and she went she went to Brad and he liked her enough to send her to Saratoga. And she made her made her first start up there. Uh, I think it was July 23rd and and got banged. uh and coming out of the gate and then, you know, ran a little green and ran a closing third to uh, Wesley Ward's horse, I, who, who was, um, who won going away. It was a very $800,000, I think, Munnings horse, um, uh, yearling. Uh, and, uh, but she wrote, she, she worked, she ran a really good race. So we ran her back. Uh, September 3rd and uh, she came from I don't know what it was, it was probably eight wide at one time and closed and got up at the wire and uh, she showed I mean she showed then and we thought all along that she'd want to go two turns and I think Brad still feels that's going to be her game and we penciled this race in and we looked at the Frisette as well, um, but the Frisette is one turn, you know, Aqueduct's one turn mile. Um, so we penciled this in, and I mean, you couldn't have a race that, com- that comes up any tougher than this race is with, with um, you know, the McPeak horse and uh, with Brightwork. Um, uh, that you know, you as a spinaway winner, and but uh, our Philly's doing well. Um, I'm excited. We're all excited uh, to have one that um, that's got the caliber to be to be run in a race like this. Tell us, you know, before she got to the track, did she go down to Ocala to Paul and Sarah Sharp? Is that where she went? No, she was with the Demerics. Oh, okay. okay. Val, Val and Kristen Demerick. Okay. Uh, Kristen Demerick. Um, uh, and um, that. That, uh, those, those, they do a wonderful job as well as Paul. I mean, we, Paul has, gets our horses as well. And, um, we, you know, she went, she went there and, um, uh, you know, the, the reports were so good on her that, you know, we were hoping that she would, we would come, she would come right through, but you never know, you know, you never know. Right. Um, but we had, you know, we also had we had a filly that that won on Sunday at at Churchill uh, called Pursuit of Liberty. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that race. Uh, another two year old that we bought at the two year old sales, 
um, that is showing some talent as well. Uh, I, I have not, because I haven't really talked to Brad since I've gotten back, um, I really don't know the plans for her yet. <laughs> well, I think all of us on the pod saw the win. Very impressive. and uh, But we're super excited about the opportunity on Friday for Alpine Princess. Uh, unfortunately, I will not be going to opening day at Keeneland. I'll be going to uh, another place with my wife and baby. So, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm not going to be at Keeneland. But uh, I'm going to hand the mic over to uh, Alan, CC, and Jeff. So uh, we'll go in we'll go in alphabetical order. Alan, you're up. <laughs> hey, uh, Dane, how are we doing, there, buddy? Good, Alan. Well, you know, you you know, as you just discussed, the Alcibiades is this weekend. It's a, it's a great one. You're trying to shoot for the moon a little bit with a very talented horse, but you've got two good ones in there. I'm sure I have to tell you, right? For those unaware, there's a bright work by with John Ortiz, and then there's DV's Dream, who looked amazing last time. Realistically, what are you thinking? Of Alpine's chances are of Alpine Prince's chances are of knocking these two uh, potential monsters out. I mean, you got as good a chance as anybody in the field, but uh, will she stretch out? Will Will she be able to tackle these uh, these these two queens? Uh, I don't think there's any doubt she'll stretch. Uh, I mean, she's a two-turn horse. You know, she's by Classic Empire out of a curling mare. So she's bred to go long. And uh, we had, we we try when we when we buy, and you never know, but we try to buy pedigrees that will go two-turns and horses that look two-turnish. Whether they, she will or not remains to be seen. Uh, but, um, I mean, I... She's been training wonderfully. She's been training very well. Um, so I, I'm um, cautiously optimistic. Um, uh, you know, we wouldn't be taking a shot like this, you know, if we didn't think we had had a, had a legitimate shot. And I know the eyes on the prize should always be, you know, at the focused on what you're looking at, you know, today, right, with, with the goal in mind of Friday with you. Know, that's – that's no small feat, but let's say she performs well. I mean, you know, there's a race in a month after that, right? Is is that in the back of your mind? I'm sure it is to some extent, right? But uh, tackle that bridge when you get to it or what? Breeders' Cup? Yeah, I, I, I think, and Brandon will tell you, you know, our goal is always the first Friday. We buy mainly fillies. Right. Uh, and our goal is always the first Friday in May. Um. What what you know if we were to 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 win uh, and you know you get the win and you're in, I guess we'll let her tell us. Uh, I am not, uh, you know, I I will not make. Uh, Brad Brad will will be the final judge based on her health. Um, I will not um, uh, chase rainbows, <laughs> and and I don't. We won't squeeze a horse. We will not squeeze a horse uh, just for a race. It's just not not the way we like to do things. It's not the way Brad does things. And um, I think, you know, we'll take one step at a time. I figured that. Well, I'll tell you what, I will. I probably will be there Friday. I think Jeff may be there Friday, too. Best of luck to you before I kick it to CC. Legitimately, I, we're really pulling for you. Well, thank so, you. Yeah, thank you, you know that. So go ahead, CC, and you can uh, heap some praise on this horse as well, too. First of all, Dan, how how difficult is it to work with a uh, a, sh- a shareholder like Brandon, who's uh, 
<laughs> who very whiny. Uh, he, he trust me, I know. And uh, right. you know, it, it, what 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 techniques do you use to handle him to keep him at bay? You know what I'm I saying? Just, I just don't use Q-tips a lot. <laughs> no, I no. Brandon's fine. He, he, he was he was good to have. He got excited, which was fun. I, you know, there's nothing that I enjoy more is to bring new people into the business, uh, and let and watching them have fun. And it whether it be somebody that has that owns uh, a part of a tail. Or somebody that owns fifty percent. It it is. It, we need we need owners. We need owners that have fun, so we can build this business back, you know, to where it was. So that's that's part of the goals that I have when I when I add new folks. I try to give them a good experience. Um, uh, you you really want them to have it. Brandon, I love the fact that he was so enthusiastic about it. So, um, no, honestly, I, I kid uh, with the Q-tip part of it, but but uh, he was a pleasure to be a partner. Well, you got him to go to Ellis Park, so that was a, a major <laughs> victory for the game itself. <laughs> that may be the last time he goes, but yeah, yeah, yeah it was it wasn't a fun day. Um, uh, but, yeah. Uh, so, all right. So, when you have uh, uh, an impressive maiden like, uh, well, Alpine Princess was fairly impressive just in her debut when she got up for third after a rough start. But uh, your winner the other day, I, I, you always hear about people, you know, they say, "Well, the phone's ringing off the hook. Everybody wants to buy." Is that really the case? People, do you get phone calls uh, for people wanting to buy a share or? or uh, I, I didn't get a call on uh, Pursuit of Liberty. Um, you know, in, because it's, we have partners in it, um, with, we have, we have two, two folks that partnered with us on her. Uh, we have 50% of her. And, um, you know, I don't think people will want to buy parts of parts, you know, for, or they'll, some people will come and try to buy, buy us out 100%. Now, Yes, I, you know, um, we have, we have people like, you know, Matacat that we partnered with and we are partnered with, um, on Alpine, um, come in. Um, we actually, they bought into, well, this is the fourth horse. I think the fourth horse that they bought in on. So, yeah, I'll get I'll get a call from them um often um when that happens. Uh I I when we had bouquet booth, we got quite a few calls back in in the day, but that was, you know, 20 2010. Um so I have not um you know, Saul Saul has been one if I if if they a lot of guys want to buy 100% of them and we don't want to do that you know or that's not our game unless somebody made us an offer that we couldn't refuse and going back to bouquet booth that, that filly ran in the oaks right 2011 Kentucky Oaks yeah she finished that was, uh, fifth 
Yes. I, I, I was watching the replay of that race. I, I thought that was the race that Plum Pretty won, right? But she, Bouquet exactly. Booth was very much in the hunt down the stretch. That had to be exciting. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was, uh, it was a thrill and, and, and Johnny V rode her for us and he got off and he said, I was getting excited at the turn, you know, and she, she really was like a miler. Um, uh, you know, I think we, you know, you had to give it a shot. Um, Street Storm ran dead last or not maybe second to last. I mean, it was, she really didn't belong in, in, in the race. Um, but you know, we had a shot and we thought we'd take it and our partners had a blast. I mean, obviously we, we had a thrill just to run in the Oaks and, and to have two of them in there was, was uh, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. She, she, she was a nice filly. Before we swing it over to Brandon, uh, Jeff, uh, do you have any questions for Dan Glick? Sure. So, well, first of all, I did see the Pursuit of Liberty race, and we always cheer for uh, friends of the podcast, but I was cheering a little extra for you on that one, and she was my best bet of the day. So I appreciate you all coming through for me selfishly, as well as I'm happy for you guys as well. And, uh, yes, she seems to really have a bright future ahead of her as well. So that's exciting that you have a couple of really promising two-year-old fillies. Um, the main thing I wanted to ask you was you touched on it a little bit earlier about how your main goal is that first Friday in May, the Oaks, and how you have mostly Phillies. Has that always been your aim, or is that something you've kind of grown into as you see the potential residual value if you can get to some, some black type and breeding prospects with the Phillies? Yeah, that's that's it. I mean, we that's been our goal. We bought actually we have one colt that's not not that that showed some talent last year. Um, it, it, what I find is if I stay focused in a certain category of horses, you know, certain Kentucky breads, fillies, it's we can stay. I mean, you get you know, I don't have a big team. And you can get fanned out looking at a lot of horses, but if we stay focused, we can usually narrow our window down and hopefully we land on something that's good. And, um, with the limited, you know, we're not, we're not spending the crazy money, uh, out there. And, and, uh, it, this allows us to do and perpetuate the partnership. I mean, the, the ultimate goal is to sell fund. You know, you want to be able to sell them and take the money and reinvest it and not ask for, for you know, people to put more money in, in the partnership. So I've looked at it from a business standpoint that way from the beginning. Uh, like I said, we bought a we bought a Colt last year, a Nyquist Colt two years ago, Ny- Nyquist Colt two years ago called Nyquist, who ran second in a uh, maiden special weight in uh, Oakland, and he's got a little bit of ability. He's got hurt again and is now back in training um, at Turfway right now with Brad. Um, but that's that's kind of, that's the the limit of it, and you know it was kind of a rarity. I just watched a bit, watched him breeze at Ocala, and loved him. And, and, and so I said, let's, let's go after it. And we, we partnered up with some folks and, um, we bought them, but the norm is Phillies. 
Right, right. So also, I know you said you started kind of with the claiming game and then you've moved to the the yearling and, and two-year-old sales. Do you, do you have a preference at this point between the yearling sales and two-year-old sales? I, I've heard positives and negatives from both, so just was curious on getting your perspective on that. Well, you know, I've this I only started buying yearlings last last not this past year, the year before. This is kind of a three year uh swing. And what I was trying to do is buy a couple couple from a couple yearlings and a couple of two year olds and to see how it would work. And the first group, um we got three allowance uh type horses. Uh we had a Philly Batukata, who won uh, what we thought was an Oaks prospect, um, but hasn't, and she won recently at Delaware. Um, we bought as a two-year-old. We bought uh, Night Quick, the one I was talking about as a as a two-year-old, um, and we bought uh, another allowance or maiden allowance winner named Mystic Pleasure as as a yearling. And then we bought another one as a yearling, a West Coast filly that couldn't run. She was no good. But three out of the four was my first experiment. Uh, it's still yet to be judged. Then this past, the, the year before, we bought Alpine Princess um, as a yearling. We bought Pursuit of Liberty as a two-year-old. Um, we have a, a, a yearling that's also... Uh, one, a yearling that we bought, a Jimmy Cree filly named Don't Say It that's in New York right now with Brad. And she ran fourth her first time, and she ran a good race, and she should run again soon. She's she's a pretty nice filly as well. Um, and then we have uh, – uh, we had we bought two other two-year-olds. Uh, one of them is Running Sunday called Collected Success. Um, but she's running for a, you know, for a, in a 40,000 maiden claiming race. And then we had one that we, an audible filly that is, that's on the, that, uh, is injured and on the farm that we bought as in the two year old. So we bought two yearlings and three, um, two year olds. And, uh, it looks like the yearlings this year might, might outperform the two year olds. So I don't know yet. The jury's still out. Right, right. Doing the experimentation now and, and learning as you go, see what works for you. I think that's kind of probably the answer is different things work for different people. So that's good that you're that you're uh, working through that. Uh, before I toss it back over to Brandon, just want to say good luck on Friday. I mean, I, I really think, Thank you. you know, it's a tough race, as you said. You, you expect that in any grade one, but. I thought Alpine was even more impressive than than it looks on paper last time, and um, totally agree with you that I think she'll improve stretching out. So I'm excited about your chances. We'll be rooting for you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, um, we can use all the, the cherry section we can get. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Brandon, I'll kick it back over to you. Well, thanks, guys. And, you know, it, it's it's so wild to see these purses get so elevated and, Every year, I, I feel like there's just more and more money that comes into the purses. And Dan, I'm so excited about the opportunity. I mean, Alsa Body's on Friday going to mile the 16th, grade one, $600,000 purse. So, I mean, gosh, I, I kind of wish we had like Dream or even Meadow Dance 
you know, these years, you know, versus the prior years, just because of how different the purse structure is. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you, 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 you have to, you know, you, these type of races should be that kind of purse, in my opinion, um, to be able to compete. And, uh, I, I mean, it's exciting. Obviously we've been, um, after the way she's been working and after, you know, after the Saratoga race, we've been hoping and I'm hoping all things are go and, and everything is good. And we have some luck. Yeah. Well, best of luck. The race is on Friday at 515 for all our listeners. And, uh, once again, if you look up ownership under Equibase called Full of Run, Full of Run 2, you'll see a list of Dan's uh, upcoming runners and with other partnerships. And, Dan, thanks for coming on tonight. We wish you the best of luck. Thanks, guys. Great to be here tonight. Okay, that was Dan Glick of the Full of Run 2 partnership. And they're backing Alpine Princess in the Alcibiades on Friday. Very excited for them. They're, that he's a good guy. We met him at Brandon's wedding, I, I believe. Yeah, we've met him a couple. I've met him a couple times and stuff. Real good guy. I met him at uh, yeah, Brandon when he, when that, that poor woman married Brandon. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I still feel for. Her. But then all that said, yeah, Dan's a great guy, and uh, just met him a few times, and that's got to be just an incredibly amazing feeling, right? Grade one at Keeneland in your backyard, amazing. And- and to have a shot, or at least a, a shot, shot, yeah, yeah, a shot to get part. So yeah, I'm sure uh, he wouldn't mind if VV's dream or Brightwork had a scratch out of that race, maybe uh, even the odds out a little bit. But Alpine Princess does have talent, that's for certain. All right, well, let's talk about this giant weekend. I, this is uh, one of the best weekends on the calendar uh, in, in this state. Um, but uh, big, big racing Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We'll just gloss over some of these, uh, some of these giant races. Uh, Friday. Of course, uh, is the, uh, the Phoenix Stakes is race seven, the Soul Keenan Ogden Phoenix. It's a grade two, $350,000, six furlongs. And this race, uh, is wide open. The, probably the best Kentucky sprinters are here. You, you're getting number seven, Bango at five to two. Uh, he's won 11, what was it, 11 or 12 stakes races at Churchill, but he's, he's 0 for two at Keeneland. So, you know, it might, might be some vulnerability there, guys. Uh, I don't know what you want to do here. You, you, you just want to throw out some horses that you like or, or, or you want to go race to race or, or what do you want to do? I'll let, uh, Jeff, if he likes something in this race, I think Gulfstream Way is interesting, but there's a few horses I like over the weekend. I may just mention them, the, the, the horses I like compositely over the weekend, not necessarily in this race, but yeah, Jeff wants to mention something about this. Feel free. Yeah, I just I, I think this is an interesting return spot for Manny Wah, being off since April. I mean, Catman's not easing into things, is he? He's going going right into a grade two right off the bench, and um, I don't know. He just he feels kind of sneaky off those those couple bullet works at Keeneland. Like horse must be doing really well to put him in this spot, which I think is interesting. And then the other one I really like in here you you mentioned a little bit before is Gulfstream Way. Thought that was a career best effort, just barely missing out to Mr. Churchill Downs himself, Bango, in uh, in the last race in the Louisville Thoroughbred Society. But um, as you said, I mean, Bango is I think the deserving favorite in here, but he's a little a little bit more vulnerable outside of Churchill Downs, and, and I think I'm probably going to try and beat him in here, even though I'll be rooting with my heart for the Foley's. Um, 
I may be I may be trying to beat him with a couple others in Gulfstream Way and Manny Wah. What do you guys think? I, I know this is like the, this is like the NFL. Like the the difference between the first team and the ninth team is is not that much. I think that's that's kind of where I stand here. I don't think it's going to take a whole lot to of improvement for maybe some of the lesser ones to to get part of this. I, I tell you what I think. I think once again, I think the morning lines are a little bit haphazard uh, throughout the weekend. I may be wrong about that. There's some of these morning lines I'm just not that uh, not necessarily in this race per se. Although I'm I'm kind of the Minnesota bred on the outside. It's seven to two, or yeah, in this race, Doctor Oscar. And it's like, really? Okay. I'm not saying they won't win, but I'm, I'm not going to be seven to two. But there, there's some there's some weird lines I think over the course of the card. So I agree with Jeff on Maniwa. I mean, that that's some sneaky works coming off the layoff, and I want to root for the Foley's, but at the same time, I mean, you got it's handicapping. You got to look for those angles. So could that be Corey's five thousandth? He won the race on this horse latch. I don't like the horse in this spot. But I could see Landry sneak up the rail for his 5,000th win in the grade two Phoenix. That would be kind of fitting, wouldn't it? Possibly. Yeah. Yep. And like anything, do you like anything, CC, on the card itself? I do in uh, race five. I'm going to single bling in race five for Vicki Oliver. I, go back and watch the Music City Stakes. She absolutely reared into break and just totally blew it and was absolutely flying late. She mm-hmm. might actually be a, a turf sprinter. She actually broke her maiden at Ellis at five and a half. Yeah. And since then, she's been running two turn races, except for the the Music City, Kentucky Downs, going six and a half. There's enough speed to set up her rally, and Johnny V takes them out, John Velasquez, and I think uh, she'll be firing late. I, I like Bling. I've always been a fan of the horse. The horse is really, really good. It's a, It feels like a very typical Vicky Oliver-type horse. I do think that's probably the one to beat, but I uh, I like Murky in that spot at 15 to 1, Wesley Ward. I know this horse back from Turfway, and this horse has had a. This horse, this horse was good. Like, you can tell it's a pretty decent. Uh, it's Lale Stables. It's Wesley Ward. It's on the turf. There's 15 to 1, another example of the morning line that I do not think will hold. I mean, a 7 or 8 to 1 is possible, but uh, Murky and Bling. If I got a lot of just those two, if I got a lot of just Murky, I, I'd be happy in that spot. But uh, anything you like on the card, Jeff? I think you hit the nail on the head there, especially um, with the morning lines in this race. I, I think Bling will be under six to one. I don't think you'll get fifteen to one on Murky, even though I think you will get a decent price, just because the the numbers on the turf races were a little lower. Um, and then LJ's Emma, I don't think there's yeah. any way no one on one. No, I mean she might go off favorite, honestly. It's pretty close. Yeah, uh, I kind of feel that way in, in some spots. There's a horse. I believe in the Jessamine, right? CC named Tupi, who I do like, who's 20 to 1. I don't think will be 20 to 1. It's Grand Motion, Flavian Pratt. And the horse ran at, uh, Colonial last time, but don't let that fool you. It was a really nice effort against the boys. And the winner is a, I think it's a Wesley Waters or the Larry Ravelli horse that's, just, I mean, maybe the, is going to win a lot of turf sprints. Well, that horse was one to five and Tupi ran a real nice, no uh, run on. No, no, Nanets, yes. And Tupi ran a really good second to that horse, and it was a good field. Don't the fact it's Colonial Folia, that was a good field. And, uh, but I know it may not, stre- the horse may not stretch out, but it looked like, I think there's a six furlong work in there. I think he, uh, the intent is to stretch out. So uh, I like Tupi at 20 to 1. I like Murky at 15 to 1. And there's a horse in the first race, it's a little iffy, uh, selection. I'm not really sure. Archie the Geese is a, is a full to uh, the really nice turf horse. The name for, escapes me now. 
young horse, but uh, that horse, they tried to get this horse on the turf, and it didn't really work out. They put the horse in the dirt last time, and it was a one-turn mile in the last race of the day on a Thursday night at Churchill. It was a really good field for some of these old, for three-year-olds, three-year-olds and up. Sometimes those races aren't that tough, but I thought that was a good uh, field. Uh, Mo Fight and Spielman are really nice horses. And this horse, yeah, this horse made a move on the turn, made a move on the turn and kind of feed it out. So I like Archie McGee. Those are three horses I'm looking at on Friday. Yeah, I like all three of the top three finishers out of that race, honestly. So I do think that was a stronger race. Yeah, it's, I mean, anything in that race can win, but I, I like the way the horse uh, went after on a turn. Uh, Christian Torres maybe learned something from the horse. Maybe he makes the same move on the on the mile and 16 turf. On the mile and 16 third at, um, at Keeneland gets a price. Maybe he lasts the whole way. So uh, anything else on that Friday, guys? Anything that you like? Well, yeah, we've kind of been jumping all over the place. Let's just let's reset for just a second. So race one, you Alan likes Archie the Giza. Yeah. That's the five horse. And then in the fifth race you like Murky. Murky, who is the three for Wesley Ward and Gerardo Corrales. I like the five bling. I do too. Yeah. Uh Jeff likes Manny Wah in the Phoenix. That's the mm-hmm. two stream away. Yep, the two and the four. Now we're, we've gotten down to the eighth race. Tupi is the uh, the five in the Jessman Stakes in in race eight for Grand Motion and Flavian Pratt. Uh, I would just add, boot is it Buchu or Buku? Buku looked yeah. really good at Churchill breaking. Yeah. Wheeling right back, wheeling right, wheeling right. That's back. the only issue. You're you're wheeling right back, but uh, you know if man, she looked really good that day, and. and- I don't mean to interrupt you, but Phil Bauer, you, uh, you all, if every one of Phil Bauer's horses seem like they run, you're scared of him every time, right? They always fire their shots. He's excellent. He and the Rigneys do excellent work with their horses. And I then, like to get those guys on this show, but I don't know, don't know how to contact them. <laughs> and then lastly, uh, I was, I didn't like to see time to dazzle at five to two in the morning line. I think she'll probably drift up from that, but she was very professional winning her, her maiden race, her, her maiden debut. At Woodbine, I don't know what she beat, but she looked really good. She's a daughter of not not this time, and uh, those, those progeny are usually really talented on either dirt or turf. Um, before we go on, Jeff, did you like anything else in the Jessman? Um, I agree with you. I think we're on a lot of the same ones. Um, I, I do think Time to Dazzle is probably going to be tough um, when, when Cassie brings those those Woodbine strippers in. They usually run really well. Um, I do think Tupi's interesting. I don't think we're getting 20 to 1, as you said. And, uh, yeah, Buku, Buchu, just, you know, Bauer and Rigney right now, the way they're going, toss them at your own risk. What now, about the Alcibiades guys? Who wins the Alcibiades? Yeah, no, the Alcibiades was race nine. $600,000 purse. And this is a really nice renewal with the uh, number five, VV's Dream, who's won two of her three starts, uh, just blitzed the Pocahontas field. And she'll be facing Brightwork, who who comes down from uh, New York after starting her career here. And she is undefeated in four starts. But then we've got, you know, uh, Dan Glick's Philly Alpine Princess. Uh, uh, one one note, uh, number eight, Emery, is going to scratch. I think she's going to go in the Frisette. So we won't have to worry about her. So it'll be at least a uh, or probably a field of eight. And Brightwork has beaten VV's dream before, right? And uh Brightwork is no slouch. Beat Ways and Means, the very highly touted Ways and Means in Saratoga. And then VV's dream kind of laid off, said, I'm going to come back at some distance. And uh she certainly did at Churchill. So those those top two are going to be really, really tough. 
And now, course, I would be, I'm sorry, but I would be willing to fade bright work stretching out going okay. two turns for the first time. That that's that's that would be my thing. I think I would play against her, even though she's proven to be a, a top filly and she's uh, passed every hurdle so far. But I, I would I would definitely try to fade her. But I understand if you went with her. Yeah, I think Vivi's Dream is the one to be. That's who I would go with. But I'm pulling for Alpine Princess, don't get me wrong. But I actually think Vivi's Dream probably go off a slight favorite. Just my guess, but we'll see. And then I'm we got surprised, a surprised that she would uh, go here. I, I know McPeak likes to run them, but uh, she would be no worse than the second choice in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies behind Tamara, the daughter of Beholder. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's – I hope everything goes well because I'd, I'd like to see that matchup. Yeah. This is this is kind of McPeak's jam right here, though, isn't it? So, yes. Uh, and then brilliant, we got a brilliant horse. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. in the last race, Johnny's Fireball, who has a big shot, gets Luis Saez back off the injury, gets the rail on the turf. So we're we're hoping for all the brilliant folks, uh, the cohorts that uh, that Johnny's Fireball fires his best shot in the last race. Absolutely, he had a little bit of a rough trip at Kentucky Downs. I think to he say the least. Yeah, ran better than it looks there. You know, he, he had a. Uh, he got squeezed early out of the gate, lost a bunch of lengths, and then he was making a, a run up the rail actually, and got had to check back again off heels. And it was kind of rough because, as you were talking about with the the purse structure, he ran sixth by a nostril. Yeah. And Kentucky Downs, you know, first through fifth get get paid nicely, and sixth through last all get the same. So that was a little unfortunate. But uh, yeah, hoping for a, a positive run for for Johnny on Friday. Okay. And uh, let, we'll turn the page real quick. Let, let's get into man, these races on uh, Saturday are just incredible. And I haven't had a chance to look at a lot of them. I but I do know. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I mean, you just pick a spot and, and dig in, I suppose. Well, uh, yeah, there's a lot of good stakes races. There's a couple of horses I like earlier on the card in the non-stakes races, I think. I think it's the third race. Uh, glance through here real quick, and maybe John, if you've looked at these or not yet, either Jeff, as I stall as I scroll down. Uh, right, not it's over the card, but I haven't really dug into it yet. It's interesting. The third race is a hundred thousand dollar maiden. They're going seven furlongs for for three year old, uh, three year old fillies and up, three year olds and up, and it's not much of a race to be honest with you. There's so there's one horse I see with some upside for John Ortiz. The, the aforementioned John Ortiz named Three Pokes ran fifth by three lengths. He's only starting the turf at church. He'll go seven furlongs in the dirt now. He's four to one in the morning. She's four to one in the morning line. I mean, that's a single to me because I, I don't see much in the spot. I don't know if the horse can run or not, but won't have to win, run too fast to be kind of a, a man filled of maidens. There's a Dale Romans has an intimation in that race. That could be with the guy Louis, Louis Saez on board. That could be your X factor, but I do expect three pokes to run well unless devil blue dress is, uh, is live. I think race, was it race four, race five? There was somebody that interested me. And once again, as I stalled, it's called Quality Star. Quality Star for Paula Lobos won twice at Keeneland, has used Kentucky Downs as a prep to roll at Keeneland in the past, which is what he, what he's done this, she's done this time. And I've always been a fan of this horse. Uh, they're only going a mile and 16th. I think the horse is more of a mile and eight type horse, but six to one Quality Star in, in another field where I think, uh, you might get nine to two, five to one on her or whatever. But I like I like those two horses on Saturday, and then that's where we get to the stakes race, which I'm sure CC has looked at, right? Well, I haven't looked at all of them. I, the 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 first uh, stakes is the Woodford five and a half furlongs, and I always struggle with this when there's no uh, 
It's a tough West thing to stand out. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there, there's an interesting Wesley Ward in there. The, the Philly taking on the boys in Coffee Maker. What do you guys mm-hmm. have their chances in here at 12 to 1? Well, 12 to 1, Wesley Ward on the turf in a stakes race. I mean, with Luis Saez aboard, who's 2 for 2 on the horse. Uh, yeah, I, I, you use the horse, right? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, yeah, first glance, that's the one I'm leaning towards in there, just because, you know, anything can happen in these turf sprints, and it's it's evenly matched, and there's not really a standout in here. I think that's the way I'm leaning there. I think we might get a decent price, and I, I think she could pop. How about a shout-out to uh, Farron Peterson's Fox Fox uh, Trot Anna in this race? That's the horse that she won on at Ellis at 111-1, to and then comes back at Kentucky Downs, makes another big payday, right? Runs close second at 26 to 1. And now, in, in fairness to her, she's a long shot jockey and, uh, she's up against it in this field, but I don't blame her for trying. So, be another 80 to 1 price on Farron. So let's see what she does. But I don't think it's the toughest version of the Woodford, but that said, I, I think it's a pretty evenly matched version of it. The Thoroughbred Club of America is the seventh race, six furlongs. Wicked Halo is probably going to be the favorite here off a terrible effort in the yeah. opening. Prior to that, she was, she's been a really top notch filly. She draws the rail here and that's not the place to be at Keeneland when you're sprinting. Yeah, I'm not sure how to go in this race. That's, I, I mean, this is why I might sit on my hands over because Wicked Halo is five to two and I love that horse, but she, she ran flat as a board last time and it comes right back. So, you know, I, I don't know what you do here. This is a, this is a watch as a fan type race to me. Unless y'all have an opinion. I do not. No, I yeah, not. either. I, I mean, I think Ugiri's probably the horse to beat just off off the last win, but um, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not confident in it. I'm, I'm I don't have a I don't have a play in here one way or the other. Be like water to run fourth. We'll be like water fourth in the super. That's where that's where she always runs. So right. there you go. <laughs> Race eight is the first lady grade one presented by Chad Brown, and uh, <laughs> he's got the first uh, three. Uh, slots here with Gina Romanica, White Beam, and Inatayan. Inatayan should be a heavy favorite turning back to a mile after yeah. she was upset by White Beam in the, in the Diana. At a mile and eight. You know, this, what it's, what has taught us the last few years, it's like when Chad has three horses in this race or it take the longer price, it's almost like he uses these races to get his lesser stock a grade one. That's what it seems like to me. Hey, Okay, we'll we'll put an effort in in the favorite, and my six to one horse will get the the grade one that we need her to get. Or usually it's a her. In this case, all three of these horses actually have grade ones: Gino Romanica, White Bean, and an Italian. So throw that out the window. An Italian should wire the field, shouldn't shoot a mile, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's the way. Yep. Yeah. Not, not a very good betting <laughs> race. I think you take your single and go on. You take, yeah. but you might make some money if you bet the race. Um, horizontally, I mean, I'm sorry, vertically, because even a horse like Games Mission or this jumbly for Joseph O'Brien could throw a little kink into the underneath the underneath portions of the ticket. So and what else we got? What's the next one? All right, race nine is very interesting flavor in Breeders Futurity, 600,000 grade one. And this is going to be a matchup between the three-horse Awesome Road, who was very impressive winning at Ellis Park, and number nine, Locked, son of Gunrunner, that uh, – Broke his maiden very comfortably at Saratoga going that funky Ellis Park one turn, one and a half turn mile, even though it's at Saratoga. But, uh, uh, locked at seven to five, awesome road three to one. And then there's another horse in here. Uh, we'll, we'll let you all talk about it, but, uh, yeah, uh, interesting race. 
Uh, Timberlake is no slouch. I think I, I could see Timberlake winning the race. Uh, she she had a little bit of trouble and a pretty wild and hopeful right when Nutella Fella won um, at Saratoga at a monster price. But Awesome Road is. I mean, if, if you compare just races at Ellis Park, Timberlake's race at Ellis Park is probably a little more impressive than Awesome Road. Even Awesome Road was fantastic. Uh, Timberlake ran a pretty good run on second after running some problems in the in race at Saratoga. I think Timberlake's interesting. Of course, the, the Pletcher horse on the outside. But, I mean, let's not forget West Saratoga at 20 to 1. That's pretty insulting for Larry Demerit. That horse just won easy in the Iroquois. Uh, that's insulting. It's Gerardo Corrales aboard. And then Generous Tipper looked excellent at Ellis, our buddy at uh, Walkin' L. Scott Leeds at the Walkin' L. I think the five and the six in here, those two horses could definitely make it, make some noise in there. Jeff? That's the one I'm a little interested in at a price is Generous Tipper. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I'm not really sure um, what he beat in there. I, I don't know that it was the strongest field, but I tell you what, I mean, crushed him and had some in the tank. Wasn't yeah. necessarily the most professional win. Um, you know, if you can just put it all together, I, I think he has a lot more to give in here. This, that last, that, the, the multi race wagers at the, that close out this card can be pretty chalky when, uh, if, if you look, when you look at a horse like an Italian and, and, uh, the, the Pletcher horse in this race and, you know, there's some other ones. Uh, a horse like Generous Tipper could change, could could flip that on its ear a little bit. Generous Tipper is the one I would find interesting. The majority of the public is going to try to buy the race and use uh, the two Cox horses, and they're going to use Pletcher. And both Generous Tipper and Western Token have a saying that I would, Generous Tipper would be the, my alternative way of looking here. Mm-hmm. Moving on, race 10 is the Coolmore Turf Mile, $1 million, featuring a, mas- a matchup of Master of the Seas, who just won the Woodbine Mile. Prior to that, uh, won the summer mile at Ascot, and he will take on up to the mark, who, who may be arguably the top U.S. turf horse who's on a, a two-race win streak. I uh, don't know if uh, if a, a mile, that may be too sharp for up to the mark, but uh, what do you guys think? I'm sure Jeff likes Harlan Estate, right? <laughs> well... I, I do. I, I think this is a little tough for Harlan Estate, but I, I still am a Harlan Estate fan. Um, I, I honestly would be shocked if um, up to the mark or Master of the Seas didn't win this, and I just I just trust Charlie Appleby here. I, I'm heavily leaning towards the one in here, just at first glance. I haven't really dug into it, but um, that just seems like the one to me. I actually like up to the mark here. I, I believe up to they just announced up to the mark with had a stud deal and been retired at this race or the Breeders' Cup. I can't remember, but I don't know that sometimes that doesn't go that well. And I read is not in town, so it's Jose on the horse. But this horse has breathtaking moves. And Charlie Appleby, yeah, in this country, Charlie Appleby is hard to beat. But I know he didn't beat much in that Woodbine Mile, did he? Whereas uh, up to the mark looks like maybe he was. Freshen up for a fall campaign to get this race, maybe get something in the Breeders' Cup mile, if that's the way he decides to go, and then retire with a, a nice fat payday for the rest of his life. I like up to the mark over Charlie Appleby here, but, you know, we may both be wrong, right, Jeff? <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. No, sir. CC, you got to uh, split this tie right here? I uh, See, I don't know what to do. Master of the Seas, I don't, I don't really care for the quick turnaround off the big victory in the Woodbine mile. I don't like that, but you know those good dolphin horses are tough. Well, Appleby's not been so hot in this country this year. Just four for fifteen. Seems like he was batting about fifty percent 
over the last two years. And then Did you just like say said, just just four for fifteen? That's terrible. Twenty seven percent. Well, I'm just saying, you know, they they relatively shipped, speaking, yes. Uh, he shipped modern games over to run in the uh, Maker's Mark Mile back in the spring, and he was, you know, he 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 did finish second, but he he was nowhere close to the winner, and it was relatively flat. And he he shipped some others over. No no world beaters, I don't think. But I mean, you know, for for Godolphins, for what they like to do, that it's been pretty soft this year. But uh, I mean, I will give the horse this. Like I said, I don't think he beat much at Woodbine. And William Buick doesn't come back to ride. It's going to be James Doyle. But you know, Buick may have a better spot going over in that country. I, I'm not sure. But he did come home that day in 22 and four. That's flying. So the the kick is there. It's, it's, it's not up to the marks that a solid kick too. It is a bit of a concern up to the mark turning back a little bit. You know, I don't ever like them when they I don't like it when they go from you know yeah. because that miles is sharp. It's all about the kick at a mile, right? And mm-hmm. sometimes that longer distance can can dull that kick. But I've got to think that maybe Todd's got this one ready to go. But I think it'd be a fun race to watch. Uh, I will say, last race there's a horse in here named Booth. Uh, it's a maiden special weight, uh, seven horse booth. This horse looks like a monster. I've been go to go to the uh, I, I forgot the name of the, the website. Is it KentuckyWorks.org or something like that? Uh, you can follow these horses. Booth yeah. has looked like a monster. Yeah. yeah. With a I, I, I offer a caveat that he beat this horse uh, named Barrel Thief like a drum over the last two or three works. And Barrel Thief ran uh, maybe yesterday or today at, at Indiana Grand. Or horse, whatever it's called now, Horseshoe Indianapolis, and he finished last in a turf race. Hmm. But uh, this this horse looks like a monster in the morning, so I'm very interested to see what he'll do. Does Steve, uh, Mr. Steve, win that much at Keeneland? He does he not, but he, no, he, he has not. he has unleashed some really nice two year olds in the past. So the the really nice two year old that won last year, uh, I forgot his name. He got injured, uh, but uh, he, he he does not do well at Keeneland normally. He'll send his B team over, but I, I think he he I would not be shocked if he unleashed a good two year old here. Brad Cox has a Godolphin one out of Sarah Louise, so on the rail. But of course, that's also the rail too. So that's the rail. That's that's the only problem. But a good horse can overcome that. All right, should be a fun weekend, right? Yeah. Uh, before we go, we we got to point out Sunday. And I'm going to try to make it out there for the last three races on Sunday. This uh, the Spinster Stakes should be a, a cracker, a whacker, as Vic Stoffer would say. Number two, Idiomatic, just won the personal ensign, grade one, and she soundly beat Nest, the uh, one of the top fillies from last year, who is uh, one for two this year. Nest on the line six to five, Idiomatic seven to five. Nest eight for thirteen lifetime, idiomatic seven for ten. This should be a really fun race. Uh, where, where do you uh, where do you where do you stand on the uh, the Nest idiomatic rivalry? I didn't know there was a rivalry. I, I don't have an opinion. Um, I don't know. Uh, Jeff, do you? <laughs> I've looked at the race. I mean, this is going to be the CC show on this one. I mean, just just with the names, I'm excited as a fan to watch the race. But um, yeah, I wouldn't I bet it. I don't really know about betting wise unless you just really really like one of them and that's your single in the late sequence. Exactly. Uh, Idiomatic is going to have a a decided pace advantage. It appears. So I think I would give her the nod. But uh, gosh, that's going to be a good race. Nest, we're going to find out if uh, 
Ness hasn't necessarily franked her three-year-old form. So I, I, I think I would lean toward the now filly, which is idiomatic. So that's, that's where I lie. Old turfway horse, right? Yes. Damn yep. straight is. Yes. She, I think she won, uh, she won a stake on, uh, the big day back mm-hmm. in March. So. Really nice horse. All right. Let's wrap this bad boy up. All right. So that's, uh, that's all I've got. Good luck this weekend. Good luck to me, most importantly, and, uh, everybody else secondarily. <laughs> and then uh thanks to our guest dan glick for coming on good luck to alpine princess on friday and so uh, we'll sign off from here on behalf of dan and of course brandon jaggers whose phone ran out of gas and alan schneider and jeff riggs and a cast of thousands this is tc brought us reminding you that we're not happy unless you're not happy good night